Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Well, we're going to continue on our series with God at the Box Office. Turn your attention to the screens with the movie that we'll be looking at today. Sure? Yeah. Be an inventor. First man to walk on the moon. That'd be something. We've chosen a job so difficult, requiring so many technological developments. We're gonna have to start from scratch. Go and Master these tasks, do we consider trying to land on the moon? Neil, if this flight is successful, you'll go down in history. What kind of thoughts do you have about that? We're planning on the flight being successful. Damn, that is a big mother. It'll go up like a half kiloton A bomb if it blows. The vehicle's not safe. We need to fail down here so we don't fail up there. This isn't just another trip, Neil. You're not just going to work. Do you think you're coming back? There are risks, but we have every intention of coming back. Somebody got a Swiss Army knife? Swiss Army knife? Are you kidding me? whether the program's worth the cost in money and in lives. You're down here and you look up and you don't think about it too much, but space exploration changes your perception. And it allows us to see things that we should have seen a long time ago. We have serious problems. We've got this under control. You're a bunch of boys. You don't have anything under control. I know a lot was coming at you in that trailer, but if you could remember that clip where him and his wife's hands were coming together, that's an important part as we get to the end when I explain it. But First Man is the story of Neil Armstrong, played by Ryan Gosling, as you saw in the trailer, who was the first man to step on the moon July 20th, 1969. Was anybody there to watch that or saw that on TV? There's a few of you out there. Some interesting facts about Neil Armstrong. He's got a lot of Ohio connections. He was born in Wapakoneta, just an hour north up 75 from here. He taught aerospace engineering at UC, and he died in Cincinnati in 2012. I found this movie to be very intriguing in the way that it focused more on Neil Armstrong as a man than on the mission of going to the moon. And this morning, we're going to look at two characteristics that stand out about Neil Armstrong. One is a strength, which will be humility that we'll look at. 
The other is a weakness that we'll look at later. But let's focus on the strength of humility. President Obama described Neil Armstrong at his death as one of the greatest American heroes of all time. His achievement was watched by over 600 million viewers around the world. When he got home, he went on a 38-day world tour, visiting dignitaries, having tons of parades to just acclaim him. Yet, he remained very humble. He didn't run after the limelight. In fact, he resisted it. John Glenn, another Ohio native, said, the first, who was the first American to orbit uh, the earth, told CNN this, Armstrong didn't feel that he should be out huckstering himself. An interesting word. He was a humble person, and that's the way he remained after his lunar flight, as well as before. This incredible feat did not change him. Even his own family described Neil Armstrong as a reluctant American hero. Our church vision speaks of humility. In Micah 6.8, it says, walk humbly with God. We want this to characterize our church. Jesus spoke on humility in Matthew 11.29. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. Here Jesus describes himself as humble and gentle at heart. I love how one author puts these two characteristics of humility and gentleness together and describes it as unhurried gentleness. When we are humble, we're not in a hurry. We're on God's watch and living according to his time. I want this unhurried gentleness to characterize my life that Jesus had. Have you ever, did you ever notice that Jesus was never in a hurry? Jesus was very timely in what he did. And to pursue this, I want this unhurried gentleness in my relationship with God. And I, I've got to ask myself, am I willing to be unhurried and gentle with God in the way that he orchestrates my life? I want it to be in my relationship with others. And I've got to ask myself, am I willing to be unhurried and gentle with others? I want it to be the way I treat myself. Am I willing to be unhurried and gentle with myself? That's probably the harder one for me, especially when I make mistakes. Unhurried gentleness can also be described as patient. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 4, that we reflect love when we are unhurried and gentle, and that love is patient. There's an unhurried gentleness with God, with ourselves, and others. And as it says here, it's part of loving God. It's part of loving others, and it's a part of loving ourselves. This aspect is what I want to focus on, even kind of define as our humility, is this unhurried gentleness. And this comes into play, especially when we're dealing with disappointment. Tim shared last week, as he, did, as he shared in his movie, about how difficult it is to, lead, to deal with disappointment. How do we treat God, ourselves, and others when we do not get what we hoped for? 
when we make a mistake that has tremendous cost or do not get chosen for something that means so much to us. Let's watch this next clip of Neil Armstrong and how he handles not getting a space mission that he had trained very hard for and was hoping to get. Morning. You can take a few days off, you know. I know. I'm just getting up to speed on the new Delta wing in the UK. Pickle canceled the trip. He wants you focused on writing up the pilot report from your last flight. Am I grounded, Joe? Write up the report on the bounce, okay? Even though he didn't get the mission that he wanted, we see here in this clip that he was very patient. There's a gentleness, a humility. Yes, he was frustrated. There was disappointment. But he handled it so well. How will we handle disappointment when it comes? I want to encourage you to handle it humbly with unhurried gentleness. Let's take a look at this scripture in 1 Peter 5, 5-7. It says, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at just the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Right away, this verse says to humble yourselves. Surrender to him. Pray the prayer of indifference that, that you're going to be okay with no matter which way something may go. Trusting in his mighty power to help you even when you're disappointed. It goes on to say, and at the right time. There's a timing with God, and we need to surrender to the timing. It's not just surrender the disappointment, but we need to surrender the timing that he wants to take us on in this journey. And often that means waiting, waiting for God, waiting on God to take us through a situation. And then this verse says that he will lift you up in honor. Honor comes from God, and he will also bring the honor in his time as well. That one needs to be surrendered. And then the next aspect says, give all your worries and cares to God. Worries, cares, I would add fears can come in and sometimes paralyze us to come humbly before God. And then lastly, I love the last part of this verse. Why should we do all this? Because he cares for you. He's really got our best interest in mind. 
even though it may not look like it, even, even though things may be going south for us, he's really got our best interest in mind. Remember, you're his son and you're his daughter. And he's a good, good father, as we sang about. And he wants to bring good things to us. And sometimes we've got to go through disappointment and difficult times. And I want to encourage us that when those times come, to allow him to help you through it. Not around it, not over it, not avoiding it, but take his hand and allow him to lead you through it. And you will experience his care, even in disappointment. You know, I did a lot of struggling in this area, and I'm on a journey in this whole area of humility. Um, I got shook by some things, major disappointments with the death of my twin brother, the divorce of my parents, football injuries when I was younger, not getting certain jobs, and other disappointments in my life. And this accurate view of God, and especially this verse, to respond humbly when things don't go well, really brought a, a comfort and a care to me during those times. So I want to encourage you to move through the disappointments with an unhurried gentleness on yourself. Your significance is grounded in being his son and daughter. It's not grounded on how well you do something. Humility needs to show up not only in our disappointments, but it also needs to show up during times of promotion and success. Watch this next clip on how Neil Armstrong responds to being asked to command the Apollo 11 lunar mission to the moon. Hell of a rocket. Yeah. Everything stays on track. 11's gonna be the landing. I talked to Bob. Everyone's in agreement. We'd like you to command. Okay. This is crazy. One of the greatest missions of all time, and he hears the news he's going to be commanding this in the restroom while he's washing his hands? I, I can't get over that. I can't get over that. But what strikes me about this, yeah, he was very unemotional. I mean, you can kind of see that in Neil Armstrong. We're going, to, we're going to talk about that a little bit later, what might be going on there. But he's not thrown by this. He could get a little more excited in my mind, but he has that unhurried gentleness even with a major promotion and getting this command job on this mission. Psalm 75, 5-7 kind of addresses this. Take a look at this. Don't raise your fists in defiance at the heavens or speak with such arrogance. For no one on earth from the east or the west or even from the wilderness should raise a defiant fist. It is God alone who judges. He decides who will rise and who will fall. This unhurried gentleness needs to find its source in God. 
and be indifferent on whether I get a promotion or not. Sometimes it'll make sense when we get a promotion. We did a good job, and it kind of falls in line. Or someone else did better than us, and they should get the promotion. But sometimes there's a mystery. There's a mystery to why something happened, why someone else got it. And sometimes there's a mystery why we get it. Over and over in my mind, the thing that I would get hung up on is trying to figure it all out. You know, it it had to make sense to me. But sometimes there's a mystery in how God does it and how he orchestrates things. And I needed to come humbly to that. This passage reminds us that we need to stay humble, even in the midst of a promotion. And this, too, is a difficult process. When we don't get something that we want or think that we should get, we can get really angry about it. I want to say God can handle our anger. Defiance that they're talking about in this verse is a lot more than anger. It is a deep, impenetrable hardness of heart that basically gives God the finger and said, I'm done with you. The psalmist is not advising this, but God can even handle our defiances. God is big. He is able. However, we cannot draw close to God and understand God until we become broken from our defiance. Then it begins to make sense. Well, in first man, we not only see the strength of humility in Neil Armstrong in both times of disappointment and promotion, but now I want to shift. I want to shift to Neil Armstrong's weakness. He had an incredible weakness with an inability to grieve. He really struggles throughout this movie, and it leaves a tremendous negative wake of relationships behind him. I don't think sometimes we realize the effects of not being able to grieve well and how it affects people. I didn't understand this for a long time in my life. And again, as a church, part of our church vision is that we dream of an emotionally healthy church. And we defined emotionally healthy as being emotionally honest, being able to share what's going on under the hood with other people. Even with the hard feelings like sadness and anger, and frustration and loss. And grief is a big part of that. The second aspect of being emotionally healthy is being self-aware. And that's simply asking yourself, how are people experiencing me? What type of wake am I leaving behind me? Is it positive? Are people feeling like I'm showing love? Am I kind? Am I patient, not rude and honest with people? Or am I leaving a negative wake where there's silence or awkwardness or tension left behind when I leave a room. Neil Armstrong, as I said, had a huge deficit here. His inability to grieve caused him to emotionally shut down, preventing him from being emotionally honest and self-aware. Let's watch this next clip. As the losses are mounting inside of Neil, we will pick it up where Neil has just left a meal in a funeral where three astronauts had just died from a rocket malfunction. And Neil's wife is speaking here in the car with two close friends. 
And she's talking about Karen, their three-year-old daughter who died from a brain tumor. And he, she's also going to share about the, from the last location that they were, four, four men had died as well. And Neil storms off in his car and leaves, and she's getting a ride with these two friends to meet, to meet him. Let's see this clip. I'm sorry. I hate to be a bother. Oh, Jim, <laughs> it's no bother. Yeah, no. Neil's a... There was a year when we were at Edwards. Four pilots died. We got good at funerals that year. We haven't been to one in a while. Has he ever talked to you about Karen Ed? Not really, no. Let's talk to you about her? No. Never. Standing out here in the backyard because I want to talk to somebody yet. Sorry? Do you think I left there because I want to talk to somebody? Neil just pushed himself away from all the people that are close to him. And he's dealing with a lot. I, I get it. I, I don't understand that. Nothing like that has happened to me. And I, and I understand that it's fine to create some distance initially because in grief there's shock and we just need time and space to kind of figure it out. But if we continue to isolate ourselves with the grief, as Neil is doing here, things will go from bad to worse in a hurry. You see, Jesus does not steer away in how to handle grief. In fact, Jesus is described as a man of sorrows, one who is accompanied by grief. He's very clear in how he wants us to deal with grief. Here in Matthew 5, Jesus is sharing the most important behaviors associated with the kingdom of God, known as the Beatitudes. And he shares about grief. Let's take a look at Matthew 5, 4 that says, God blesses those who mourn, 
for they will be comforted. God blesses. He gives favor. He gives hope. He gives joy again in this time of grief when we mourn. What is grief? Grief is that internal feeling inside when something or someone has been taken from us. And there's just this deep, deep pain in our heart and in our soul. And we can't even describe it. It's so deep. Sometimes it may not hit as deep in some losses. Well, what is mourning? Mourning is the honest external expression of what's going on inside. It could be crying. It could be screaming, yelling to express the pain inside. It's a natural way God has created us to release this emotion and tension inside of us of sadness, shock, anger, frustration, or just confusion. I I don't know what's going on. And this is the kingdom way to respond. When we mourn, Jesus goes on to say, we will be comforted. He will bring comfort. Others will see that we're in the pain and in the sadness. They will turn and bring comfort to us as well. I know some of us may not have grown up in homes where this took place. I grew up in such a home. I had to learn this. Probably started learning it more when I was 40 when my dad died better than any time. I know it's hard in a military culture as I continue to get to know some of you guys and and explaining of what that's like. So I get that it's difficult. But in order for us to move on towards being emotionally healthy, we got to get this one down. We got to grow in this area. Jesus is calling us to mourn and be honest with our loss. It is Christ-like. To do otherwise will just create this distance and this barrier from others. Here in this next clip, we see how this inability to grieve continues to paralyze Neil as he has to talk to his two sons. He's got to talk to his two sons the night before he leaves to fly to the moon. He is aware that there's a 50-50 chance that this will be successful. And his wife firmly encourages him to talk to his two boys before they go to bed. And he doesn't want to do it. He starts to work. He starts to do other things, but his wife leans in stronger. He's got a good wife. And she's concerned that if something happens to him, it'll be just like one of the other astronauts whose sons and, and daughters lost their dad, and he's not around anymore. And she wants him to have this conversation. Watch this clip with me. Those kids, they don't have a father anymore. Do you understand what that means? What are the chances that's going to be Ricky and Mark? And I, I can't tell them that their dad spent the last few minutes packing his briefcase. You're going to sit him down, both of them, and you're going to prepare them for the fact that you might not ever come home. You're doing that. 
you, not me. I'm done. Better start thinking about what you're going to say. Jimmy asked what you didn't say when you get onto the moon. Well, we're not sure we're gonna get onto the moon. Yeah. A lot of things have to go right before that happens. How long will you be gone? Um, well, we launch in 10 days. We'll be up for eight and then about a month in quarantine. What's quarantine? Well, be in isolation. Uh, to protect in case we... Uh, carry any diseases from the lunar surface or something of that nature. It's not likely, but it's a precaution. So you won't be here for my swim meet? No. Sorry. Does anyone have any other questions? Do you think you're coming back? We have a real confidence in the mission, and uh, there are some risks, but we have every intention of coming back. But you might not. right As you can see, this inability to grieve paralyzes Neil in handling a really, really hard conversation with his two sons. He's so stuck during this time that all he can say is, do you have any questions? He's passive and not taking the initiative to give his boys a hug and let them know he will miss them. As you see, they came to him. He's really unable to lead his family emotionally. His boys find it easier to be more emotionally honest than their dad. You know, God has wired us to be emotionally honest from childhood. And it's often parents or the adults 
who hold this process back because of their own inability to deal with their own emotions. Just this last week, I attended attended a funeral of a co-worker of mine at Athletes in Action. His wife uh, recently died of cancer. And she left behind with him a 13-year-old daughter and two 11-year-old boys. And the grief, as I went to the viewing and spoke to him, is so thick. I, I, I couldn't imagine what he must be going through. And my wife, in her role with staff care, is to come up with a plan and how to come alongside of him and his family uh, in the days that follow. And one of the things that they did, her and her team, is they talked to a grief counselor and got some advice on how to best handle this situation. And the grief counselor said, the kids will be fine as long as their dad grieves in an emotional, healthy way. They will watch and model what they see. I found that to be so profound. More is caught in what our kids see than what is taught in what we say. Our children are watching us as adults. And I just want to speak to the dads, and I'm in this category, as leaders in our homes. Men, we got to get strong in this area so we're not weak to lead our families in times of grief. Like I said, it took me a while. It was probably age 40 that I really began to understand. And then I could lean in and help my daughters in some of these ways. There's tremendous resources available to us. There's uh, hospice that is dealing with grief all the time that we can go to for resources. There's grief care that can help us. But we need to make sure we're emotionally healthy in our own lives so that we can lead others and lead our families. We can't give, any, we can't give anything to anyone we don't have. And that, that's what convicted me when my dad died. Like, I got to get this thing figured out so I can lead my family. And I can lead other people when it comes to this area. Well, this scene could have been so different if Neil would have been emotionally healthy. And what's really sad is that as this movie ends, with Neil in quarantine, as he referred to, the place that, that he would go to make sure there's no diseases or illnesses from coming back, Uh, from the moon. Um, He's in this quarantine, and he gets visited by his wife. That brings me back to that clip that I told you to hang on to. There's There's this huge glass, and it's almost like in a prison sometimes when you see someone through a glass, and they can't get to you. That's where he was in quarantine. She was in kind of the public seating area. And he reaches out her hand, and she reaches out his hand, and the movie kind of ends with them touching this, this super thick glass. And I couldn't help but think the symbolism that was going on here. That this glass was really the emotional barrier between her and her husband. Between him and his kids. Between him and his friends. There was a distance there. And that's what happens when we don't deal with grief. It's almost like a, a reverse magnet. It, it pushes people, we, we push people away. We don't want to be by them. And the very thing we need, as we see in Matthew 5, is other people so they can comfort 
It's God, so he can comfort us. I want to encourage you to choose the road less traveled in this area of dealing with grief and be emotionally honest. Ask for help instead of staying isolated in grief. Well, as we close this morning, maybe the the Lord's been stirring in these areas of humility or an inability to grieve. And what I'd like you to do is just close your eyes and ask the Lord what he's saying. I just want to create a moment and a pause for you just to pray and ask the Lord how you should respond. In this area of grief, is he asking you to bring a trusted friend into the situation? And I want you to know we're available as staff to pray for you and come alongside you. But don't put it off if he's, if he's speaking to you. If he's spoken to you to the area of humility, let him move in that area so that he can bring this unhurried gentleness into your life with him with others, and even with the way you treat yourselves. In fact, with eyes closed, if God is speaking to you in any of these areas of humility or an inability to grieve, I just want you to lift up your hand so I can pray for you. If God is stirring in one of these areas. Let me close in prayer. Father, we need you. We see in your word how important it is to be humble. And we want to keep growing in that area, not only individually, but as a church. And then we need your help in this whole area of grieving and how to understand what's going on inside. Will you come alongside and help us and even give us the strength to to reach out to others and not push them away? We love you. We thank you that you want us to do this in a way where, where mourning is is accepted, and I pray that we would give ourselves permission to do that. Thank you so much for how you come close to us and how you care during these times of grief. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you so much for coming this morning. Have a wonderful afternoon. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.